Welcome back to our new season, Green Bites by Sustainable Asia. I'm Shermaine Lee, and I'm Bonnie Ao. The new season, Green Bites, is a weekly show that delivers our hand-picked news roundup on green stories in Asia that you should know about. Hey, Bonnie. Have you ever traveled to Japan before? Yes, I have. I went there for the very first time back in 2018, I think, where I went with a couple of my friends. And the first city we went was, of course, Tokyo. We also visited Kyoto, and there were quite a few ancient temples that we visited. I also had a very chaotic encounter in Nara, where I was chased after by deers in the park. My God, what happened? Did you piss off the deers somehow? So there was a kiosk nearby, and so my friends and I decided that we want to buy some food to feed the deer. And just as we started unwrapping the packaging, the deer started coming after us, and I remembered running away like a bunch of crazy people. I swear, everyone was looking at us. <laughs> That's really funny. I'm so curious to watch how you looked like at the time. Well, um, I'm a little bit reluctant to share the videos because it's just really embarrassing. But oh well, why not? For a laugh,、mm, I'm looking forward to it. I also want to say I really enjoyed traveling to Japan. I loved the delicious yakitori, and it was such an unforgettable experience listening to the singing of geisha in Tokyo. And in Hokkaido, I remember skiing on the soft snow with my family. I'm sure many people feel the same, but the scenery in Japan might look drastically different at the end of the century. Recently. The Worldwide Fund for Nature Japan released a series of graphics in its new campaign to show how climate change can affect the country's most famous landmarks. Really? So, what do these graphics look like?、Hmm. Just to describe a few, they show geisha in Kyoto collapsing from the heat and a snow skier sliding on grassland on Nagano. Several parts of the country, including big cities Osaka and Tokyo, are also underwater. The rather ironic thing is that they even renamed the famous Tokyo Sky Tree to Tokyo Water Tree because the tower is literally underwater in the graphic. In another interesting graphic, they put a model of a snow palace in a history museum in Hokkaido, the prefecture known for snow festivals right now, because snow would be a thing in the past by then. And for the rest, I put the link on the show note for our listeners. Sure, and kudos to their creativity. Maybe it will help wake everyone up to the alarming future if climate change continues at the current rate. Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga vowed in October to turn Japan into a carbon-neutral nation by 2050, but the path for Japan is still full of challenges. Japan is the third-largest economy in the world, so they should have enough resources to do just that, right? Well, yeah, they do have the resources, and they did have a track record of using nuclear energy in the past, and aimed for it to provide over half of the country's electricity by 2040. Yet, I'm sure no one in Asia can forget the Fukushima nuclear accident in 2011. Hmm, that is so true. It's hard to get it out of everyone's head when it comes to nuclear explosions. I remember that in March that year, a very strong earthquake hit Japan. Causing a tsunami with waves up to 14 meters, 
three of Fukushima's nuclear reactors had meltdowns from that. Worse, of course, was that the town of Fukushima was, and still is, completely emptied out. And two years after that, reports showed that large amounts of contaminated groundwater from the plants were even found in the Pacific Ocean. It has become the most severe nuclear disaster after the notorious Chernobyl accident in 1986. The possible radioactive contamination of the 2011 incident is still haunting Japanese people nowadays. Exactly. And this incident has pushed Japan away from nuclear power and back to burning fossil fuels. Currently, only a little more than 20% of Japan's power is produced by wind, water, biomass, and solar energy. Hmm, I see. That might explain why people want Japan to speed up its goal. In late January, a group of 92 corporations known Japan Climate Initiative urged ministers to double the goal to source renewable energy in 2030 from about 24% to 50% in Tokyo, as the WWF predicted the average temperatures to rise by 5 degrees Celsius in the next 80 years, the government might really need to hurry up. And its neighboring country, South Korea, is also in hot water. The government released a report in January that if greenhouse gases continue to emit at the current level, the average annual temperatures can rise by up to 7 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. And this also means that the number of heatwave days can go up to 93 days in a year. Can you imagine three whole months in extreme heat? Wow, three whole months in a year is a really long time. Our summers are already quite long, so I really do not want more scorching days. Do you remember we mentioned in previous episodes that South Korea pledged to put more electric and hydrogen vehicles on the road by 2025? Seoul's mayor said in January that they will remodel over 350 old public buildings next year as part of a green project and make electric and hydrogen vehicles mandatory transportation in the public sector. That's a very good first step, and I'm glad to know countries are taking actions now. Another country in Asia that we often overlook as a climate change hotspot is Mongolia where temperatures have gone up by 4 degrees Celsius since 1940, compared to the global average of about 1.5 degrees Celsius. One of the industries that was hit the hardest by this was cashmere production. Hmm, indeed. Cashmere is made from the belly hair of goats in Mongolia, but rising temperatures are posing a threat to the ecosystem the goats depend on. It increases the risk of further desertification in the country that already has 90% drylands. Yes, and as a result, different green programs are launched to help protect the ecosystem in the country. For example, a UK-based NGO named Sustainable Fiber Alliance issued a certificate system for fashion companies and manufacturers to follow, which ensures sustainable farming practices for the goats. But this doesn't cover the cashmere production in Chinese Inner Mongolia. So there are doubts as to how they're going to succeed in producing sustainable cashmere as a whole. Hmm. It's important to think about where the clothes we wear come from and how much carbon footprint they have and the impact on the environment. That's all for this week's Green Bites. In the beginning of January, we asked our listeners to share with us their climate goals for the new year ahead. And so here are some of the responses. KM, a lady from Hong Kong, tells us that she brings her own coffee mugs to buy bubble tea and boxes to get takeaways. While she said some restaurants don't allow that due to the pandemic, 
She is trying her best she can. Hmm. And another listener called Joyce, also from Hong Kong, tells us that she has decided to go green for gifting this year, either presents made of sustainable materials or something digital. A big thanks to listeners for sharing your Green New Year resolutions with us. And if you have any green knowledge you'd like to know more about, don't hesitate to comment on our social media platforms with the hashtag #ShareYourBite. Please subscribe to our podcast channels for more content and share our podcast with your friends and family. To find out more about us, visit our website sustainableasia.co and follow us on Twitter at sustainableasia or Facebook sustainableasiaco. Thank、you